0: Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and in this podcast, I ask my guests to look back over their life and pick five things from it that they would like to put in a time capsule, four things they love and would wish to preserve or have again, and one that they're happy to banish from their life and never have to see again. My very special guest this week playing this game of reminiscences with me is Sir David Jason OBE, or as he's known to the world, Del Boy. But Only Fools and Horses, memorable and successful as it clearly was, is just a tiny part of David's career which has taken him from touring theatre shows to starring in the West End to radio to television shows such as Do Not Adjust Your Set, Open All Hours and Porridge with Ronnie Barker, uh, A Bit of a Do, in which he played Ted Simcock. He also played Captain Frank Beck in All the King's Men, Scullion in Porterhouse Blue, Pop Larkin in The Darling Buds of May, and, of course, Detective Inspector Frost in A Touch of Frost. He's won a number of British comedy awards, lots of national television awards, and four BAFTAs, including being made a Fellow. Most recently, he's been back behind the counter, keeping Arkwright's shop going in still open all hours. I mean, let's face it, David is a comedy legend and a national treasure. He recently released his autobiography, Adele of a Life, which is a great read, I have to say. Well, I should know. I recorded it as an audiobook rather beautifully, I have to say. Anyway, to commemorate this event, David agreed to meet up with me at the Ivy Club in London and talk about the things he holds dear and one thing he'd like to bury in the ground and banish. This is That Conversation.
2: Right, are you starting,
0: Michael? I am starting, yeah, that's it. We're off we go. We're going to talk about five things from your life, little insignificant things that you'd like to put into a time capsule. Preserved for posterity, or yeah. for your daughter, mm. so that she can look at it and show your grandchildren.
2: Well, that's a difficult question to uh, answer, but <laughs> <laughs> there is a story that's in the book, yeah. right? What I'm sort of mostly known for, for the general public, is I suppose uh, Del Boy, yeah, Derek Trotter for Fools and Horses, which I'm listen, I'm very proud of in a way, but it's. Uh, It's a bit like a ghost. It keeps coming back to haunt you all the time. But fortunately, it has been a springboard for me to do other things which I'm equally proud of. And I'm grateful for it in one way, and it's been a a sort of bittersweet thing in another. Uh, So the book is called A Dell of a Life. A Dell of a Life... Is a sort of play on words. Then let's say you know, oh dear, dear, it's a bit of a hell of a life. <laughs> wink, wink, nunch, nunch, know I mean, pal. So, I would have that book, which is one of a trilogy, which is the third one that I've done, mm. and I would put that to answer one of your questions. Yeah, and that is because, because it's a record of what I've done, and. My catchphrase, which I try to say to everybody, and especially to my daughter, is it's the journey, not the arrival. So that means that I aimed for success, but I aimed to be better at what I was doing. That was my driving force. Hmm. So what it did, it drove me to try and be self Analytical and self-judgmental onto my work, what I was doing. Yeah, so critical of it. Yes, yeah, and so I was constantly criticising myself. And I can tell you this: that when I was learnt the trade, I did it by coming through the theatre. Yeah. Now, where I suppose you and I have a, a sort of fond memory. And where we're very fortunate is having some work, some continuity in the theatre, oh. which meant that I could go on for hours and tell you all sorts of things about what I learned from different people that I worked with. But the one thing that started it all off in this analysis of what we're talking about is that I was doing Peter Pan. And I had a front cloth to do with a wonderful old uh, musical actor called Leslie Cerrone. Now, Leslie Cerrone, he did a musical act many, many moons ago with another performer. They were called the Two Lesleys, and they were so successful and famous. And, for example, uh, they used to write very funny ditties and things, and they were musical... And um, they were private party sort of things, and he wrote "Savannah's a Funnyful Man" and Edly and and "Savannah's a Funnyful Man." (laughs) (laughs) That did he? Yes. And so he he wrote Peg Leg Pete," and there was so many musical songs that the two Leslie's wrote, and nine times out of ten, they were comic songs. Yeah. And so that one is it was typical. Now, I worked with him. We had such a good time. But the point of the story was that we had to do a front cloth, which was me, Leslie, and the crocodile, which we had a lad in a crocodile skin <laughs> that came on, on wheels. I wonder what happened to him? Poor lad. Poor lad, <laughs> yeah. yes. There is a story, but I can't relate that here. Um, <laughs> what happened was that every night we used to go out, and our job was... Amongst other things, I played the gentleman Starkey, which was quite a nice part in Peter Pan. And uh, he played Smee, so we were a little double act, as it were, in the story of Peter Pan. But what they decided to do was that they put us on in a front cloth to entertain the audience whilst they changed their scene behind into the boat for the big finale scene for Mm -hmm. the thing. Anyway, we went out there every night and we did as wrote, as directed, right? Well, we used to go out there every night and die the death. Uh. Die the absolute death. Oh. So we used to play the full houses with nothing. Oh, dear. I'll tell you what, there's nothing more humiliating and, and things to destroy you is if you've uh, got a heart and a soul yeah. as an actor, mm. I mean... To experience that. And I got I kept saying to the director, can we do something? Can we do it's just not working? It's just not working. Can we could somebody write us some jokes? And it said, Listen, that's what's written. You just carry on and do it. You're doing a good job. The job is that you get to do that whilst they change to the ship yeah. behind. So I suffered it for a while. Then I went to see Ron Moody, who was playing Captain. and i I said ron it's not working this front cloth and he said why what do you mean and i told him that wasn't getting nobody was laughing we're supposed to be yeah funny we're supposed to be doing silly funny making people laugh with a crocodile and it's
0: also you know because of your instinct it's not because you're doing it wrong
2: it's because it doesn't work exactly that's a very good point and so I said to him, What should we do? Can you give me some jokes? And Ronnie said, Well, what's the problem? And I said, Well, the problem is I'm not getting any up, but I'm doing as directed. And it's just not so that's what he was all sort of waiting for. He says, yeah. Ah. He said, Okay. So now what are you going to do? He said, Are you going to listen to the director or are you going to listen to the audience? So I said, I paused for a minute or two, and then I said, Well, I listen to the audience and he said there's your answer oh. and I got on very very well with Ron Moody we were good, good mates but we always to go out together no, anyway. so I left, football, his, left his dressing room and on the way back to my dressing room this was drip feeding into my because I was expecting to get a whole list of jokes then you do that and then you do that yeah. but then it occurred to me that he's right it's me And the audience, I have to do it, I have to learn, Mm -hmm. which was the greatest lesson that I basically ever had and which I also had another lesson from my governor, Ronnie Barker. But the point of that little story was that that was my training ground. Mm -hmm. In other words, I went out every night and. I had to think of ways. What are we gonna do? Right, I'll tell you what, we'll try this. So, we set ourselves a course. Now, all I can say to you is this, I went totally against director, which I shouldn't be talking about this if you're a director, <laughs> but I knew it in my heart and soul I couldn't go out there anymore and not entertain that audience. The last night, of the entire show i came off from that front cloth to wonderful rounds of applause wow. and the director that i walked past was standing in the wings because it was the last night and he just looked at me and he said that was absolutely brilliant well done wow. and i bit mm. my tongue yes but what a
0: learning curve that's Absolutely, was. and we should put that crocodile into the time capsule to remind you of that lesson. Yes. Always listen to the audience. That's item number one. Yes, yeah.
2: listen to the audience.
0: And you've applied that right through your career. I mean, the book is absolutely full of examples of that, of where you've pursued the comedy of it to the point where something that is quite small and seemingly not that funny, you know, a laugh, becomes a whole routine and gets a, a round of applause. So you develop it, you work on it, using the audience, listening to the audience. Yeah. I would remind you of something that I saw you do at the Oxford Playhouse in 1978, oh. I think. Yeah, go on. You did a thing with a cornflake packet in... The Norman Conquest. The Norman Conquest. You're absolutely right. And
2: that is a very good example that was
0: a learning curve for me, seeing you do that. I was only a student at the time, but yeah. I saw you do that and I instantly knew that you'd done that, that you'd
2: developed.
0: How did you know that? Well, it, it just, the whole play sort of, in a way, stopped for a moment it, before the <laughs> breakfast scene. And you did this fantastic routine where you had a cornflake packet, and as you poured it, the radio played a marching band. And then you looked at the cornflake packet and then you looked at the radio and then you stood up and you went, By the left, quick, march! And went... <laughs> that's it. ...across the stage. Yeah. And it got a round of, a massive round of applause. Yes. And, and I went back and I bought a copy of the play. Yeah. And it's not in it.
2: No. You see, now that's an absolute example of what I'd learned from Ron Moody. And what it was, and this is important, that I was so... Absolutely, now I look back and you go, that learning the trade, the audience tell you things when you're using your brain. And it's so interesting that you brought that up because that was typical of me. If I found there was a need, a gap, an instinct that's saying there's something missing here, I'm sure they're waiting, they want something... I don't know what it is. And and then you keep searching in your mind. You're going out every night. You're doing the play as wrote. And then something will occur to you. And then what occurred to me was I did that at home by accident. So what they then, with the stage manager and I, we worked to get the right material in the box to give you that sound loud enough for the audience to hear.
0: Of course Cornflakes would never
2: do it. No. You see, I
0: tried to repeat that game. Yeah. I tried to steal it from you. I'm
2: sure that. you did, you swine. I, I
0: know. I thought it was such a funny thing. I tried to, do it and I couldn't do it. And and right at the end, I think somebody we put a false bottom and gravel.
2: Yeah, it might have been something uh, like that. to be Certainly, fair.
0: that's what you did. Yes. But it took us a long time to work it out. Yeah. But it was a, f- it was foolproof.
2: Yeah. So and I owe you I owe you twenty quid. Right. Okay. You're on that. <laughs> The other thing in that play, which now you've reminded me, and I was talking about searching in your mind, but it's not, as I say, I was lucky you were working in the theatre. You've got to work with your fellow actors. You can't just keep doing things for yourself. You have to work as a team. Yeah. And you have to include your fellow actors, and they've got to get them to agree with you, because if they don't... There's some, well, you know, actors as well as I do, they'll start saying, oh, Who's she doing there? Stealing the stage, upstaging me. There's all of that. So mm. you have to be careful.
0: In those circumstances, if they want to,
2: they'll step on it. Yes, you're absolutely right. And one of the other things in that show, which again, uh, thank you, sweetheart, here. which um, he comes on, he's on his own, but he's pissed. <laughs> yes. He's a bit pissed. That's where he puts a record on. Girls were made to love and kiss, and who am I to interfere with this? And it's a recurring theme that goes through the three plays. So, But what happened was, he comes in, and he's pissed, or he's, or he's well-oiled, let's put it that way. <laughs> so he comes in, and he winds up the record, the old-fashioned record player, and he puts the record on. <laughs> uh, girls were made to love and kiss. So off it goes, lovely. And it occurred to me one night that wait a minute, if I'm pissed, it's not that easy, is it? <laughs> no, so course. what I did was I wound the machine up, switched it on, and then went to put the record on and couldn't find the hole. <laughs> so it went like this. <laughs> so it goes round and round. <laughs> <sighs>
0: <sighs> <sighs> ah, oh, it. brilliant. Just blow through the hole. Yeah. Of course. F- oh, it's that's simple, simple
2: isn't it? Yeah. And for some reason, which is ridiculous, yet sort of obvious, of course that wasn't the thing. It's because you're pissed, love. Yes. That's all it is. It doesn't make any sense at all. No. And yet it's funny. Yeah. It's a wonderful thing. The audience loved it.
0: You see, and that thing of realizing that and then learning that through playing in front of an audience, you can then take that into a situation where the audience isn't there and yet know how they're going to react. So when you're rehearsing something, I remember. Well, I will talk about us rehearsing Only Fools and Horses because yeah. you insisted on all of us. You said, don't go when you've rehearsed your scene. Stay. Stay in the rehearsal room with us. We'll be accompanying. And that's what you were saying about sharing it with your actors. I remember at the time being incredibly impressed with it and also really flattered. You said, stay, and if you've got any ideas, say them. Yeah. You know, we'll all work together. Yeah. And so I stayed there all day watching <laughs> you work. You know, yeah. It was... Great. And there's a little moment in it, in that episode that we were in, where you're on the phone talking to the people downstairs, and Nick takes your hand and slams it down on the thing. And you then go, ow, all right, careful. Not in the script. They're just again and again and again throughout that episode. Yeah. There are little, just little moments. And that thing that you say of, of just embroidering That's it, it, making it more detailed. Yes, adding layers to it all the yeah. time being able to know that if I do that I know what an audience reaction will be because I've done that sort of thing before
2: yeah and I learned from strangely enough, Terry Scott which you don't learn very much from Terry Scott because he was a difficult man ah. but what he did say to me which is absolutely right apropos of this conversation you can't teach comedy you learn it and at the first time he said that to me, I went away for a long time thinking, do well, you mean teach and learn? It's the same thing, isn't it? Because <laughs> I'm a bit thick sometimes. <laughs> but that was exactly right. Mm. That being out every night in the theatre and having the courage to have an instinct inside you saying, the audience and the..." seem to be following this or they're not enjoying it or there's a gap here, there's a gap how can I, it needs filling Mm. and I've got to do something to entertain because Mm. that to me was the most important driving force but I also enjoyed To be honest, I enjoyed the the reaction, people laughing and I was going, you know, it's a bit like an opera singer, I suppose, you know, getting around for just singing a few clever notes
0: that somebody else has written. But also, as you say, the courage of it,
2: yeah, because
0: there is a possibility always in that situation, you'll get no reaction. The, yes. the thing you yes. thought was
2: funny yeah. wasn't funny. Exactly. Didn't think it was funny. So what you then do, you tar it two or three times and then you go, that's not going to work if we cut it. Forget that. Forget it. Forget Sorry. It. Let's Forget move it. on. Let's go somewhere else. Mm. So I was very, very fortunate to be able to do all that over the years and years and years. And that is, for example, that falling through the hatch, which everybody thinks was, you know, a great sort of coup. And where that came from was John Sullivan, the writer, who said to me one day we were in the bar having a drink. And he said to me, I was in the bar the other night, the wine bar, so I said, oh yeah. He said, yeah, I saw this piece of business you might like to do. So I said, what's that? And he said, I saw this boat, I'm just standing there, you know, sitting there, and there's a boat at the bar. And he was leaning on the counter and he told me this. Yeah. He said, and what happened was, the, the barmaid went through the thing, left the counter up, the thing up, and he went to lean and he didn't, he, he, he missed it and went up. And then he looked around to see if anyone had seen it because he was sort of embarrassed. And uh, <laughs> you sort of go, Yeah, what well, I meant to do there. You know, sort of and so John said, shall we do it? And I said, yes, yeah. I said, but I'll fall through the hatch. Yeah. He said... Yeah, but this bloke didn't. He just did. He said, I know, but I will fall through the hatch. So he said, well, why? What's that? So I said, because that's really funny, and I know it works. He said, how do you know? I said, because in farces, every farce I've been in, yes. there is a settee in the middle of the stage, nine times out of ten. And what I used to do was to lean on the edge of the settee, <laughs> right? And, say, and the thing I said to the vicar about was that, well, it wasn't really me, but what it was, was get Whoop. and miss the back of the city. Gone, yeah. And big laugh, sometimes round over and
0: all that. And especially that thing, as a, and I bet you always did the thing that you did in the Only fours episode, which is you'd come back up and pretend it hadn't happened. That's right, you know? yes. What,
2: what, yeah. what, where'd you go? Uh, Sorry, what, yeah, what? it was meant right? to do that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh. Anyway, so you're quite right, you're quite right. But that's daring to do it as Absolutely. well. I'm going to have a go.
0: You do something like that and it doesn't get a laugh. You. You've taken a big risk.
2: And yes. You look like a real fool. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And the, the audience sort of go, which on occasions they have done, gone, whew. <laughs> but what I learned about that is a learning curve as well, because mm. over the years that I'd done this in all the different farces I'd been in, I'd worked out, I'd learned, I'd learned how to work it and one of the little tricks of it is this if you go to lean on it and then as you lean you look you look where you're going and what happens is the audience goes oh oh christ he didn't mean to do that yeah right because that's a natural reaction But mm. if you did miss that your instinct to save your head is to as your eyes tells your brain very quickly to put your hand out to save yourself but your knee goes as well that's the natural way to do it yeah so when you first start to do something like that and you go you go what that didn't work by right. so but if you do this you looking at you the audience and i leave of this and i'm still looking at you as i fall right away. you through. never
0: take your eyes off me
2: yes that, that is, is that is funny and that's the so so
0: Anybody can look back at that clip and analyze it, and they will yeah. see all those moments in it. Yeah. It's not a simple piece of business. No. It's a thing that's developed over years and years and years yes. to that sort of perfection, which is why it was voted the funniest
2: moment. No, oh, I don't know. I ever. suppose so. But that but, so you've just put your finger on it, that I was fortunate enough to learn. Mm. When I first did it, I scrabbled at it. It nearly happened by accident, and so my hand slipped a bit, and I saved myself, I think, I think, yeah. going back. And then I thought, I wonder if I did actually miss it. I wonder what would happen. <laughs> so the next night I went out and missed it, and it got something. Yeah, It got something, and then I realised, but it doesn't get as much, and sometimes I heard the audience go, "Oh," And I thought, but wait a minute, I think I'm hurting myself here. I'll just try, just try and look at them. As though I'm in command, I know what I'm to write. Right. <laughs> that was the
0: trick. And there That's it is. That's what it was. Yeah. And it was wonderful. And fantastic. So I would suggest, David, that the second item to go into the time capsule it would have to be um, that thing from the Norman Conquest the, the packet of cereals, the um, uh, Kellogg's. The, the cornflakes, yes.
2: The fruit and fiber. Fruit and fiber, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I wanted to do it. And it came out of the fact that no one was talking to Norman. Mm. He came down and he was he'd been at it with somebody and he was pissed, mm. been pissed, sorry. Mm. And they were all giving him the cold shoulder, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And he was chattering away, and everybody was ignoring him. Yeah. So then I thought that's an opportunity, yeah? Right. Nobody's listening to me, no one's taking any notice. So I worked it out. I could do this piece of business. It's good. Hey, John. <laughs> Fatherland, quick! <laughs> oh. yeah, and he walked as I you I can know. see it now.
0: Yeah, I mean that's you know when is that? On oh, my word, that's fifty years ago. I can still see it.
2: Well, that was great that you you remembered that because I I hadn't. But it it was an example of I suppose anecdotally what we're putting in. Yeah, is it's the journey, not the arrival. Now, m- meaning meaning. Uh, Here I am and touch wood, yeah, I've been very successful and I'm very grateful for that. I've had all the twists and turns and up and down. But I did something that I was in love with, which was to entertain people. I was very fortunate in that. The other thing I was very fortunate about was that I wanted to be better than I was. And I was constantly searching. So what that gave me in every production that I'd been in, which I learned my trade, was working out pieces of business and how to do it. And I remember in Charlie's Aunt, for example, <laughs> yeah. he has a dinner party with the girls, the ladies, and he has to um, eat or an afternoon tea, whatever it is. And so I worked it all out. And it's written in the script that he entertains the ladies at yes. afternoon tea yeah. or whatever it was. And what I said was, all right, okay." after being on this stage for about a week, two weeks, I thought, I know how to wind the girls up. So I said to the stage manager, give me a bowl with some lettuce on it. (laughs) So, so, of course, I set it up to entertain the other actors, the actresses. And the reason I did it, it was to have them corpsing, right? But the difference was... If I get them corpsing, that's something the audience can see, as opposed, you know, as actors, you can do things to each other mm. without the audience knowing. It. I can make you laugh, but the audience doesn't see it's it.
0: It's sort of unfair on the audience, yes. side, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
2: But if you can bring them all in Lovely. do something that the actors hadn't seen before, but the audience had, and well, it's magic. It's yeah. magic. And so what I did with that was, I was. She was talking and cutting up this. And I realised if I cut a big lettuce leaf and I put it in my mouth <laughs> and all the lettuce leaf was hanging out, right? Like so,
0: some sort of toad.
2: Yes. To... And then I'd be trying to talk like this. And you now had never seen this before. <laughs> so you would be starting to go, wouldn't it? So in order to get you to go even further, I started to sort of get the fork. and <laughs> Poke it <at> back <me. laughs> Yes. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Again, again, that's... You see, I would
0: love to be on stage with that. Yeah. Particularly yeah. with the audience knowing. That's the thing, the audience yes. knowing it. And actually, in your book, there's a fantastic bit, because I have to say, your book's been beautifully read for audiobook by some excellent actor. I can't really? remember his name, but he's very good. I'd listen to that if I were you.
2: I probably will listen to that because I might learn a thing or two. (laughs) I could could pinch some of his intonation. Yes. There was, uh, in the book, you talk
0: about going to see the goons when you were a, a young man. Yeah. And that, again, that
2: enjoyment of watching people enjoying doing their job. You're absolutely right. So there are pieces of anecdotes and things in the book that, I draw on, and that's, that's very interesting that you point that out, that where did this all come from? Where did this spirit of uh, danger, of madness sometimes, like I've just described with poking yeah. a bloody lettuce inside your face and yeah. pretending that you're... Because he's supposed to be a woman.
0: Yes, and elegant
2: and They're, genteel. You see? You've got your finger in. Now, I've got, you've got those two things in your mind. I've got to be a woman, pretending to be. I've also got to be elegant, and upper class, but I'm a boy and a lad who's been forced into this situation, (laughs) so he doesn't know how to be, to do that as a woman. So... But he does know when he gets a lettuce leaf, Christ, I've got a great lettuce leaf hanging out of my face. How am I going to... I've got to be elegant. So I can't he use got...
0: my fingers. No.
2: <laughs> so he uses a fork, doesn't he? And the knife. So, of course. You see, so, you see, it all has a, a link. Mm. all has a history. You can't just do things just out of the wind they have to have a journey yes but does that come from that seeing sort of sellers and and seek them and and then i suppose it did and that's the other thing that uh was important that i try to i think i hope bring out in the book is that that thing that i've said the journey not the arrival in other words if you're doing something with a group of people and in my case fellow actors that we're doing something that we love doing and it's a an enjoyable experience, whether it's a drama or not. The fact that you're entertaining and you're projecting a character or somebody that is outside yourself to them, mm. that you are doing it instinctively to entertain, mm. to make them enjoy what you are doing. It's quite a complex thing. But you mentioned that where it must have picked up somewhere. I loved it. When I saw The Goons working, which was mad humour that had its own mad logic of mad people, you know, and you had these actors doing silly voices and being really silly, but to watch them really enjoying themselves, and sometimes they were corpsing themselves silly and had to stop the recording and say, come now, ouch, where <laughs> were <laughs> you know, and enjoy it. Yes. And they were all great friends all having a great time and including us yes which was us live audience and,
0: and people forget that you had an extraordinarily long radio career yeah i mean incredibly yeah. successful you were in week yeah. for forever yes and then also as a younger actor coming along and somebody going into that area i was a big fan of jason explanation Oh it, yeah! It inspired us to do many of the things that we did. In I did a show called Radioactive. Yeah, on, on Radioactive. I do remember that. And many of the things that we did, I think we sort of Stove? Be point, honest. We, we 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 did an
2: homage. Oh God! You use that It's the second time you've used that. You know, you pinched my business. My entire career has been an homage. <laughs> yes, exactly. And you're doing it again now.
0: I know. That's, uh, I'm doing an homage to you and, yeah. and Nick here. That's it. Marvellous. All money goes to my son.
2: So. You you're bloody swine. <laughs> you make sure he gives me something. All right. I'll
0: send it round to you. Yeah. So, um, shall we put the goons into the time capsule as your third item, David?
2: Yeah. Eccles and grid pipe oh, <laughs> thin. Right. I love the goons. Wonderful.
0: Right, this seems to be a good point at which to take a short break, for some adverts. But we will be back with David very soon.
1: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact...
0: Welcome back. Okay, let's waste no more time and get straight back to Sir David Jason and find out what else he'd like to put in his time capsule. It's very obvious, I think, when you read your book, the things that have been important to you. Yeah, I love the descriptions of you going to the movies and how much that world, that sort of bright, colourful, elegant world in the cinema in the 50s, yeah. When you've been you know through a war, they were still rationing, and outside is a grim world, really.
2: It was, and do you know what that reason, again, which we should remember, which incidentally, I'll say this to you and remind me to tell you about that cinema experience with my mother mm. and how much effect it had. But one of the areas that we've forgotten about, I say we, not you and I, but the modern way of working in, film and television there's been one or two graphic examples of this is to internalize your performance Mm -hmm. so in other words I will think myself into the state the period, whatever it is of the person that is living in that period that social area whatever it is Right, and I'll do it and make it totally real But in doing so, I will then talk like this. Mm. and uh, I'd say, say, excuse me, I can't quite hear what you're saying. (laughs) Listen, this is the way that I work. I'm in the character, I'm in the zone, I'm giving you reality, (laughs) I'm giving you all of this, right? The directors seem to be frightened. Oh, dear. He's brilliant, he's brilliant. Now, hold on. You're absolutely doing nothing because you are trying to tell a story, right? Mm -hmm. That is your job. Mm -hmm. And in order to tell that story that has been given to you by a writer that you trust and believe in, and the story, because you are the actor, you've taken the job, Mm -hmm. is to make sure that what is written on that story, that journey, that once upon a time gets to them, yes. the audience. Yes. So they have to hear everything you've got to say. Yes. And the other actors as well. It's no good you going, listen, I'm in the zone here, pal, mm. and I'm going to do it. I'm when even it. the
0: sound man says, I can't hear what you're saying. Yeah. Then, then you're in trouble.
2: Well, I did, no names again, no practical, because I worked with a sound man who worked on one of those shows. Uh, it was television uh, drama series not that long ago, I can't tell you the name of it again, but it was a, again, if I give it all away, but I'm, but I'm trying to say it was a period piece, okay. right? A period piece. Yes. And he'd studied the language of 17th century England, mm-hmm. so we couldn't understand a word of it. And I I happened to work with the sound man and I said to him, Did you see that show that's and the other night? And he said, I couldn't understand a word. And he said, I was the sound man on that. (laughs) I said, so it's you. You, You're awful. Couldn't understand he said, hold on, hold on. He said, I told the director a number of times, I'm having a bit of a difficult, very polite, obviously, very careful, that difficult to understand what he's saying and uh, he said i've already spoken to him he's doing it exactly right he's told me he was in period and all this so he's a genius he's a genius now the thing is the director had got the script in front of him right what he was saying no one virtually no one could understand and <laughs> the director cuz he had the script in front of him exactly yeah so you have to be very careful if you are an actor don't be that grand that who do you think you are because it's not you and your, this is the way I work and this is all, all of that stuff. You've got to remember you're doing it for them. They paid money to listen to a story, a yeah. piece of escapement, a romance, a comedy. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is, but I've got to hear what you're saying. And if, if this is television or film, that's even more bloody yeah. important. So um, is
0: this a thing you want to put into the time capsule that you'd, you'd like to get rid of? Yes. Yeah. Well, you have the right, I think, because uh, you've done probably more drama than you've done comedy yeah. in your career, strangely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Frost, you did loads and loads of it, and it's very serious stuff. Yeah. But as with all great serious stuff, sprinkled with very funny moments. Yeah. yeah. So things are touching because they've also,
2: you've also fallen in love with the people. Hopefully, hopefully. Yes, and you've just reminded me of... Because I I apply this to everybody. Everybody who's listening to your your podcast Mm. is that it should apply to us all. If you can, if you're lucky enough to have something every day, your job, try and get something out of it because your life is a journey. But if you can find something that... You're aiming for to give yourself and someone else the pleasure of it. And I was, again, very, very lucky. And I've always had that in my mind. This is why I told you that story about an actor. Just remember, just remember, it's not you. It's not all about you. You've got nothing to do with it. You two should be working for them out there. Yes, absolutely. So... Get over it. Get, exactly. Yeah. Get over it, tough. Okay. Or get out... There was a story about Anthony Hopkins was working on a film... And he left the set, and he, the director then was giving the other actors for bollocking and shouting and raising his voice and saying, how you know, this, that, and all the other. And Anthony Hopkins heard all this, came back onto the set and said to the director, just a second, just a second, I heard what you been saying to the other actors. Don't. Be more polite. Just remember, this is not heart surgery, OK? And he left the set. Right. because that's true there are ways in which you can talk to an actor and say now listen come on we got it you know and all of that which we've all had but mainly it's all about us working as a team yes. to get the best bit story whether it's a drama or whatever it is out to that audience yes. and that story of finding bits that would fit not doing it for any other reason but the thing with frost that i said that he's a policeman but he's a human being so he's a person he's a man who you know he's got a terrible job sometimes and sometimes it's not so bad but he loves his job and he hates the criminal right mm. and there's one i remember that i came into the office the at the entrance where all the people come to yeah, so to say, where, the excuse me. yeah where the desk is and i came in and i said to this uh, this actor and i said i had to say something like well, any news? What is it? And they said, Well, I'll tell you what the governor wants to see you, but oh, yeah, what's that? Well, what he said was, and there's a little theme, right, with this. So I said to this actor, I said, I tell you what, why don't you have a cup of tea? <laughs> he said, You have this cup of tea and have a sip of it and put it down, and then I'll come in, and then I will then go, Yes, what is it? Oh, yeah, what? Mm, yeah, mullet. What does he want? <clears throat> Right, you'll tell you at I took his tea. Yeah, so yeah, we had that. It was, which, Okay, funny. So yeah. he then reacted and went, I didn't say anything. Yeah. So I said, Okay, right, oh, well, I better be off. That's terrible, I ain't got any sugar. And <laughs> there you are. Honey. And then he left him going, Oh, I don't know whether I want to drink that now. And then we were off. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. But
0: now, my mother in law is with me, Doreen, I'll give her a name check. You and know, I Doreen? went into her room yesterday afternoon and she was watching Frost. Oh yes. And I said, I'm talking to that man tomorrow. And she said, oh, he's very funny. He's very new. He's always nicking people's food. And then she
2: said something you'll be very pleased with. She said, you can always hear what he says. Ah, there you are. There you are. And that is uh, the answer to modern acting, modern actors. And what I think that a lot of them haven't come up through the theatre they've come up through the media of television and film and they then start getting in their head because they don't have an audience to react to them they study the script and the part and they do I'm not talking about everyone but some of them some of them and they fall in love with their own ability to create whatever it is inside their head. Mm. And they have all these defence mechanisms about, I'm in the right period, I say it right, I'm getting it right here, yeah. and it's your job to get it there, and etc. You've heard all those stories. Mm. But the one thing that they forget is those people out there, it's once upon a time you've got to tell them and make the story.
0: Yes. And it's not as if you're not doing that thinking. You're not, you know, that thought isn't through your head. It's perfectly clear. I'll go back to the episode of Only Fools that we did. One of my favourite lines in all episodes of it is when you're talking to Nick in the bar about him buying a condom. Remember that? Don't you too many jokes for you to ever remember them all. No. And unlike the rest of the world, you don't watch Only Fours and Horses every other week. Well, <laughs> you know, no, I do you know, sometimes. Sometimes. But yeah. uh, you're in the bar talking about He's saying that he's going on holiday with Cassandra, so he wants to be careful. Right. So he's bought down the mini-mart he went down there and bought a comb and stuff but he wanted to buy some condoms and you say well that's very mature of you very adult you know in this day and age be safe yeah he said but you know i tried to but there's a stigma attached and then there's a pause and in that pause you can see your brain working and you then say the, the brilliant line he says there's a stigma attached
2: and you say that's a bit of silver paper you just throw that away you're absolutely right because if you had said, "No, that's a bit of silver paper. You just throw that away," okay, that's one way of doing it. But if you hold on to that moment yeah. and you've already got the fact that Dell is not quite as, uh, you know, bright as he'd no, like to be, he's puzzled.
0: He's puzzled yeah. by what
2: his, his younger brothers just said, and you can see that
0: puzzlement. That's it. And he's working it out. Yeah. Oh, I know the mistake what it
2: is. The, the mistake it's that way. bit of paper uh, on the uh, lid. That's so, what he's on about. Yes, because
0: yeah, yeah. he doesn't know the word stigma.
2: Exactly like that. And, and it's a that, lovely
0: thing—the detail of it. It's beautiful. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. And again, the nice thing about playing that character was he's a human being, meaning like everyone. Sometimes he'll come across a word or something or some piece of information that he doesn't understand but he thinks he should know so he tries to bluff it out and other times he gets affected with emotion because there was one uh, storyline in Fools and Horses where Rodney says something or other about his mother and the father they were never around for Rodney when he was there and Dell suddenly loses it and says, what do you mean they weren't there? Don't you understand? He said, the, over the years, who's been up there? Who's put bread on the table? Me. I've been out there. I've been looking after you. And suddenly, this fool, bit of a buffoon, bit of a t- Jack the Ladner, suddenly becomes very real, very emotionally mm. moved. Yeah. And he's nearly brought to tears by the, the fact that Rodney should say this about the family, yeah. about what he's done. So. That ability to manipulate the character to, to entertain you, the audience, is part and parcel. But you've got to have that range as well and treat, treat that drama, if you like, with as much import as how you treat uh, your comedy, if you like, everything else. It's yeah. not me that's doing it. It's the character that is embedded in me, but I've got to get it across to you. Yeah. That's always been my driving force, because you've had to listen to the audience in those days when you're in the theatre to get your things across. Yeah. And uh, as I say, that you've brought back some lovely memories. Yeah, that's good. Of, the of, point
0: is, your life has not been all, you know, sunshine and roses. You know, you talk about in the book about working uh, doing pantomime in Newcastle and having a terrible cold at Christmas, nineteen seventy-nine, I think. I'll is it? Thought, yeah, that's yeah. what it was staying in a hotel on your own just not being able to get home for christmas and then also when people read the book they'll realize probably a the thing they don't know is the number of times that you were knocked back the number of times that you had shows that that had all the potential to be great shows yeah and they didn't quite work you know they'll also find out about the fact of dad's army I, oh yeah i won't yeah. necessarily spoil it people no. should read the book to find yeah. these things out but Do tell me about that thing that you said remind you of, your mum in the cinema.
2: Oh, yes. Yeah, you did. i tell you what it was. We, like a lot of people, and, you know, you don't keep harping on about it, but very poor... No, we weren't poor because we were brought up in just a hard-working-class family. And if you couldn't afford things, there was no such thing as credit cards and all this. You just couldn't have it. So, as a kid, you'd go out to parcel shops and you'd see like dinky toys saying oh look can I have that no oh why why we can't afford it end of yeah so you were very well you might even cry sometimes and well, I, 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 no no we just can't afford it but what we did used to do my mother used to take me to the cinema as it was in those days Twice a week we'd go, once for the Odeon, once for the Gaumont. And all those things that we used to see was the big American movies and all of this. The entertainers of the Three Stooges. Laurel and Hardy was my favourites of all time. They were the best, and they still are. But one of the things that I could not believe was there were films like with Doris Day and Rock Hudson, romantic comedies, right? And As a lad of about 12, 14 or whatever it was, sitting in the audience with such a respect for... We didn't have a fridge, for example. Leftover food was put in the oven or in a cupboard, I remember, to, you know, overnight or wherever it was. But to see a film, see someone like Rock Hudson just talking about breakfast and saying, hi, darling, I'm home, open a fridge (laughs) and take out a chicken leg... (laughs) <laughs> and say anyway, so how did it go today? And then, you know I used to think, Yeah, how can they do that? Because my mother would go, Berserk if I did that because that's for the family. Yeah. If we had a chicken leg that was left over, you couldn't just go and help yourself. It's another meal. Exactly, yeah, exactly.
0: And a fridge the size of your pantry.
2: Yeah. You know? So two things. America must have been like heaven, and for us to open a fridge was packed with food and to take out a chicken leg. <laughs> which is the whole family's bleeding meal for a bleeding week mm. for us. And he wrote up, oh, look yeah, it's yeah, getting yeah. late now, Absolutely. what have you we got to go, say?
0: To go. Before we finish I've got something for you so you can get on with your life. I've got, Be careful what you've taken out of that I, I Well I thought I ought to pay you back with that.
2: <laughs> God. Did, you, is that did you get that? Yeah.
0: That's a Groovy Gang badge for you.
2: Oh, nice. That's lovely.
0: You've never got to be a member of the Groovy Gang. No, I
2: didn't. So no. now you can be. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> How did you get it? I nicked it. <laughs> did you? Oh, that's a wonderful little... That was... <laughs> They're bags of
0: them. So there you are. That's yours. Oh. Bless you. Thank you. You're very well. Well, it's been an absolute joy. Thank you, David.
2: It is. We could do a whole series. We could.
0: We? I'll come back and do it again. <laughs> yes. I'll pop round next week and we'll do next lesson for people. Yeah. yeah. It's
2: uh, lessons to be learned. And yes. I suppose, in a way, you have reflected that in, which I hadn't really realised, is that's part of the journey of the book, is that way of learning through the process of Doing a job that fortunately one enjoyed, but learning how to do things yeah. and how to enjoy things. Yes, as much through your failures as through your successes. Yes, you're absolutely right there as well.
0: But there's a but phrase uh, you use in the book where you say you think a career is easy, to, but there's many a slip between cup and lip. That, yeah, that phrase. Um, when I read that, it made me think, yeah, but if there was a slip between cup and lip, you'd turn it into a routine. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right, right. Did you want some... <laughs> no, so the good news is, because you pay your annual membership, and because of Covid and we've been shut down, we've got, like, £100 of credit, so the meal's free.
0: Bloody <laughs> hell. As wow. they say, um, lovely jubbly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you have been listening to My Time Capsule, with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Sir David Jason. We never did quite get round to finding a fifth item for the time capsule. But I like to think David would put his Groovy Gang badge in there. We did get a masterclass in comic timing, though, didn't we? And there's plenty more in David's autobiography, Adele of a Life. Available, well, available everywhere, I should imagine. But we do have a link to it in the description of this episode, if you want to use that. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe to it on Apple, Acast, Spotify, Castbox or wherever you usually get your podcasts. Please do rate us and leave a review if the opportunity presents itself. And you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook for all the latest news about my time capsule. Just search at my TC pod or at Fenton Stevens. This podcast was produced by John Fenton Stevens and the music is by Past the Peas Music. It was a cast-off production. So, until next time, stay groovy. Bye.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less in similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50